Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators and the exponential minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Exponential Minds podcast. My name is Nicholas Badminton. I'm a futurist that travels around the world helping customers look out 5, 10, 20 years into the future to try and work out how the world's going to change. And today I'm incredibly excited to have an author, a journalist, and uh, an, an amazing, uh, an amazing orator of what's happening in the world, Peter Nowak. He's a former staff reporter and editor at the Globe and Mail, National Post, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and New Zealand Herald, and has won journalism awards in two con- in two countries. His work has appeared in Sydney Morning Herald, New Scientist, Boston Globe, Toronto Star, and many others. His first book, Sex, Bombs and Burgers, with a Maclean's bestseller, and his second book, Humans 3.0, was published in five countries. In his third nonfiction book, The Rise of Real-Life Superheroes and the Fall of Everything Else, which we're going to delve into today, Peter looks at the mysterious world of the thousands of real men and women who don masks and costumes to fight crime and help the helpless while the rest of the world falls apart. Peter, thanks very much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure, Nick. Thanks for having me. So, so we met a few years ago at a conference, and uh, you know, and, and now we sort of find ourselves here. And 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 obviously, you're a pretty notable author, and and you sort of delve into these uh, the, the edges of society. The, the not even the counterculture. It's like the counter counterculture. The people that are just climbing over the fence into society and trying to sort of shake it up and make an impact. Uh, but you know your new book, so the rise of real life superheroes and the fall of everything else. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and what was the impetus to 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 go ahead and research and write that? Yeah, sure. It's uh, this is one of those things that um, I, I think you, you get your best ideas when you're bored or when your mind is you know uh, going in weird places. And that was the case one night when I was trying to get to sleep and I couldn't. Uh, and me being, you know, kind of a huge nerd, I was lying there thinking, you know, most people I think would probably try to count sheep or something like that. I was lying there thinking silly things like, how come there's nobody who's tried to be Batman in the real world? You know, uh, Batman doesn't have superpowers. He's not from another planet, anything like that. He's, he's uh, you know, his appeal has always been that he's sort of the most achievable of superheroes for, for the average person, provided that you were happen to be a billionaire and so on right (laughs) um so i got up and i started uh googling around and discovered wow there's actually quite a few of these people not obviously not billionaires and not to the same extent but there's a lot of people it's it's a veritable subculture uh that's global it's not just um most of them are in in fact in the united states but it is in fact a global phenomenon and it's uh people from all walks of life Every race, color, creed, sexual orientation, political slant, uh, economic situation, and so on and so on. And, um, you know, as I, as I got further into this, it was just a rabbit hole that I fell down and uh, got to know a lot of these people, talked to them. Uh, I interviewed or, or, or uh, patrolled with close to about 100 of them uh, in, in a number of countries 
So it was uh, a fascinating experience. And I found that they had, you know, besides the fact that they're so diverse and come from all walks of life, there is a general sort of common denominator uh, that they speak to. And that is that they're trying to use the power of the superhero or the, the symbolic power of the superhero to uh, combat sort of this declining uh, trust and responsibility in pu uh, that public institutions, whether it's law enforcement or government, uh, homeless agencies and so on. A lot of these agencies and departments, uh, institutions are, are failing people. Uh, and this is what these people stand for is trying to uh, kind of do it yourself, I guess, and, and, and bring people out of their apathy to care about those problems. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. And I, so I came across you by sort of going through various forums, you know, go, you go through Reddit and all these places and, and suddenly it's like, wow, this is interesting. And I, I, I like you, I'm a massive nerd and I read a, a ton of different uh, science fiction. And also I'm, I'm really, really big into graphic novels, you know, but also like, you know, the, the edgy, weird sort of people that wouldn't necessarily be superheroes, but like in future context, people like Spider Jerusalem in Transmetropolitan and, and all these people. And it's kind of interesting to me that the, these these imaginary worlds need these superheroes in a figurative sense, but then these people are coming back in. I, so we, we've got heroes all over the world. I mean, you talk about the the Extreme Justice League down in San Diego, and they've got names like Grim, Edge Runner, Light Fist, Fallen Boy, <laughs> you know, Mister Extreme, uh, Midnight Highwayman, uh, Brick, which is kind of a great name, just like you yeah, know, for you, <laughs> it's I'm very brick. simple, yeah, uh, and, and Violet Valkyrie, you know, they, they, <clears throat> these people sit down and they must have been ruminating and thinking about this for years. So, I mean, what what's in the mind of these people um, as they're planning to become? superheroes and what's in the mind of them when they sort of hit the streets as it were yeah i think it's pretty cool uh what they do is you know they they when they sit down and we see we should differentiate what these people do real life superheroes versus cosplayers because cosplayers are people who will dress up like spider-man or batman or deadpool or whoever whereas these people create their own personas their own characters and i think a, a large part of of that is that they're kind of creating this idealized version of themselves like this is the virtuous person that they want to be and uh you know the, the superheroic form of themselves and so they do good deeds in this persona and in this costume and it, what i found was really interesting in talking to some of them who had done it for a while and especially those who had kind of quote unquote retired is uh, many of them talked about how it was kind of a journey, you know, the, uh, doing these deeds, and we'll talk about that in a second, but doing these deeds got them to that higher level that they envisioned to the point where they didn't need the costume or the persona anymore. And they've just become, you know, at least according to them, they'd become that better person that they'd hoped to become um, in terms of what they do. So there is a variety of things that they do. I think you can generally break it down into two general areas. Uh, one is the, the so-called crime fighting, which is they'll go out into the streets, usually uh, at night in the downtown cores, and they'll kind of almost act as peacekeepers. So they'll, they'll patrol around, uh, often in where the bars uh, might be, you know, in San Diego, that's the gas lamp district, for example. Um, and they'll, if there's fights breaking out, they'll intervene, they'll break up those fights, they'll, they'll try to de-escalate situations, 
Uh, they do uh, the Extreme Justice League in San Diego, who I hung out with for a couple of nights. They uh, they found a drunk uh, a guy who was really drunk, a tourist, and they literally carried him back to his hotel. Uh, <laughs> so you know they do that sort of safety patrol, uh, peacekeeping side of uh, things, and then the other side of it, the other main activity is uh, what they call homeless missions, which is they'll gather up a bunch of supplies, sleeping bags, toiletries, bottles of water, and so on, and go to the areas of town where there might be uh, large numbers of homeless people, and they'll give out those those things and they'll, they'll actually talk to the homeless people. They'll, uh, it was, some of it was pretty um, heartening. You know, they, they'll give them hugs. They'll talk to them. Part of what they're trying to do is to make uh, these people feel like they're human because those of us who do not do this are often guilty of, of really ignoring these people and putting blinders on, sometimes even crossing the street to avoid them. So, you know, part of their mission is to try to make these people feel human and, and remind them that, yes, somebody does care about them. Uh, so those are the two main activities. Uh, a lot of them do kind of a blend of the two. Uh, there's other things they do. They'll do like um, uh, used needle pickups. Uh, so they'll walk around and do that. They'll clean up their neighborhoods and so on. So really just uh, kind of good deeds. Uh, and that, that's kind of the North American ideal and to some extent in Britain and the other uh, sort of English speaking countries. Once we get into places like Central and South America and Africa, it's a totally different story, but that's a, that's a longer answer. Okay, and we'll, we'll get into that. So, I mean, how, how, do, how do these people sort of interact with like the police that are out there? Because surely the police must be like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Or is there some sort of like hidden sort of acceptance for, for these people to be out there sort of doing good deeds? Or is there on the flip side, is it like, no, we must stop these vigilantes in a way? Yeah, it really depends on where we're talking about and which groups we're talking about. So the Extreme Justice League in San Diego, uh, they started about 10 years ago and they've made a very concerted effort to kind of establish themselves as an institution. They're a registered charity group. Um, they, their leader, Mr. Extreme, he was a former Guardian Angels, uh, Guardian Angels leader. So he incorporated a lot of their policies and procedures and techniques and so on. Um, and they, they've made a concerted effort to try to be friendly with the police and to help them. They, some of their members have provided evidence in court cases and um, that sort of thing. So there, uh, you know, I talked to one of the, there was a one police officer who I, he was, we ran across him while they were patrolling and I, I talked to him and he was like, yeah, these guys are fantastic. They're out here every weekend. Uh, we're really underfunded down here in San Diego, the police. So it's great to have more eyes and ears out there. Uh, the flip side is when you could go up to Seattle uh, back a few years ago, the big guy out there was uh, Phoenix Jones. And he was kind of like this guy who was very close to what you would imagine Batman would be like in the real world. He had this uh, rubber bulletproof armor. Uh, he's a mixed martial artist by trade. Um, and he had his team, the Rain City Superhero Movement. And they were quite aggressive. Uh, you know, they would, he actually ended up in court uh, the police brought him in because they said that he ran into this uh, group of people and just started pepper spraying everybody. Um, I believe he, I believe he got off. I can't remember the details of the court case, but the Seattle police and the prosecutors, they're not very big fans of, of this type of real life superhero thing. Uh, so it's, it's a really, uh, it depends on, you know, what sort of attitude they take and what sort of relationships they try to cultivate with the local law enforcement. So it, it, it does vary. 
Yeah, it's really interesting as well with the whole discussion around defunding the police or, you know, you know, reapportioning budget to the right parts of society and away from, you know, police intervention to like more psychological, consultative, uh, more social care intervention in a way. And and to talk about Seattle a little bit, it's interesting during the, the Black Lives Matter, you know, riots, inverted commas or activism, you know, Capitol Hill, where there was a police station, the police just left. And they then, you know, the locals turned it into, well, some of the locals, I should say, and people that came in into that part of town out at, from out of area, you know, they created the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And then I remember watching a reporter and he's been followed by this strange sort of, you know, like a slightly gothic looking guy, you know, in terms of his dress, not dressed up as a superhero, but kind of policing him. Uh, to the point of the guy's actually scared and it's being kind, kind of scary. So we're kind of in this world. I remember in the 1980s, and you talk about Mr. Extreme, the Guardian Angels in New York City sort of popped up there. And that was sort of, that was very quickly adopted into the news as something that was needed in New York City, that was valuable in New York City. And you'd see these people uh, there. You don't really see them anymore because New York's a lot, lot safer than it used to be in the 80s, right? But yeah. like, you know, how... It's interesting you talk about charity, they become charity groups that they help, but you know, what, what really sort of makes these people keep doing it? I mean, you know, is, is there truly a need for these people and do we have enough of them to make a difference in the average city? Yeah, good questions. Uh, there, there's a lot of different ways to answer that. Um, I think so. If you want to go, if we want to start with vigilantism, um, so I think we're talking primarily here about the United States, and I, and I detail this in the book quite a bit. The United States has a vigilante tradition that most other Western countries don't, um, certainly not in Europe and not in Canada. Um, you know, as the U.S. was kind of developing as a country and expanding westward, uh, vigilantism was a necessary, uh, I'm not going to call it a necessary evil, it was just a necessary fact. Uh, vigilantism occurs in the absence of law or in the failure of law. Um, so it's, it's a necessary occurrence. Um, so you're seeing a lot of that these days. Uh, in so many different forms. So whether it's, um, you know, actual vigilante justice on the streets um, or in things online, like for example, um, you know, the, um, uh, the Me Too movement, for example, that's, there's, there's shades of vigilantism to that. You know, this is an answer to uh, decades of problems in regards to sexual harassment and abuse of power and so on. And, the institutions that should be doing something about that are not, were not. So of course you get, you, you've got this sort of almost vigilante answer to that. So um, that's part of it. I think uh, why do these individuals do this? I think that's part of it. The other part of it is uh, I had a couple of people explain it to me as, you know, uh, it's like a Superman Batman thing going on. Superman does what Superman does because he was raised by really good people and, uh, you know, he was just taught responsibility and uh, giving back to society. Uh, he's been gifted, so he he's, his he he's, he owes it to society to give back, and so on and so on. Uh, and then on the other side, you have Batman, who is who does what he does because he's messed up. His parents were killed in front of him, and he's uh, he, he's either you know trying to get some personal therapy out of this, or it's a revenge thing. Uh, and so, certainly, a lot of real life superheroes do it out of that as well. 
uh, not necessarily that their parents were killed in front of them, but you know, they may have been bullied yeah. when they were younger or uh, they've got other issues that they're trying to work out and so on and so on. Uh, and then a third, a third uh, motivating factor that was suggested to me was the, <clears throat> was the, excuse me, the booster gold factor. Uh, that's something you probably only know about if you're a super nerd. Uh, booster gold is another DC comics superhero who uh, he's a guy who comes back from the future with all these gadgets with the sole purpose of becoming rich and famous uh, through being a superhero. Uh, so that certainly some people are doing it to gain attention as well and, and try to, uh, you know, go viral or whatever. Um, I found that it's a lot of them. It's kind of a mix of all three, um, right. you know, certain in, in differing percentages, I guess you could say. When you were writing the book, did you sort of also look at the sort of the outlaw side of, I wouldn't necessarily call these superheroes, but there's definitely a persona. There's definitely an outfit. There's definitely an organization. People like the mafia, people like hell's angels, even in modern times, people like self-organizing militia down in the United States. Did you look at that side of things as a, as a counterpoint to the, these sort of the, the do gooders as well? Because a lot of these people, people, they say that they do good in communities. They keep them safe. They, 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 you know, they share money. They, they sort of police as well right yeah it's funny you should ask that because um there was a section in a book in so i'm in toronto and we i remember back in the i believe it was the early 90s we had the guardian angels try to come here and set up shop and our leadership was always resistant to them they they actually never really took root there were several attempts here and one of our mayors um he said something along the lines of you know, they're a vigilante group and vigilante groups always go bad. Uh, you know, I think he said something like the mafia started out good too. And then of course, look what happened to them. Uh, there's a bigger chunk in the book where I, I, I look at what's happening in Africa. Um, so I mentioned that the United States has this vigilante tradition that most countries, most Western countries don't have. And that's actually uh, not true in a lot of African countries where you do actually have a vigilante tradition. Uh, so I, I, I talk about the Bakasi boys in Nigeria. Uh, this is just one example of, of the many vigilante groups in, in many different African countries. Uh, this is exactly a group that started, um, you know, it's almost like it almost proves the Toronto mayor's point. Uh, this is a group that started off as uh, there was a lot of crime in this area of Nigeria, in this village that they were, uh, these, they started as shoe sellers and shoe cobblers. And so they, they were being harassed by criminals and there was a lot of crime in their town to the point where it was getting hard to do business. They had an international market there that used to attract people from neighboring countries. And those people were starting to stay away because of the high level of crime. So this, this group of uh, shoe sellers and cobblers uh, you know, grouped together and called themselves the Bakasi boys, or that's what they were called. And they, they were merciless on criminals. They basically uh, you know, went after these cr criminals and, and killed them and chopped them up with machetes. And, oh, wow. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is uh, the reason I included them in the book, not just because they were vigilantes, but also because there was a lot of supernatural elements uh, attached to them. They... Uh, they, uh, they believed, or it was believed that their machetes, if they held their machetes to a per, uh, person's chest and the machete turned red, then they knew they were lying or, or something to the, <laughs> of that. Uh, yeah. So they, they had these mystical powers and they were immune to corruption. And that was seen as their biggest superpower. Uh, anyway, 
a long story short, they eventually did go bad. They became uh, the governments, the local governments enlisted them and kind of corrupted them into becoming their personal militias. So, you know, this is a case where that, that does happen a lot with vigilante groups. And uh, so that, that's, that's always the threat. And especially when you're talking about the United States and you're talking about militia groups versus real life superhero groups, there is, you know, it's not that far of a distance from one to the other. Right. And, and, and oftentimes uh, these people go to the edge of their capabilities and it might be a point where they, they want to talk and share with someone and, and offload some of that burden or someone empowers them that burden, that ego turns into some, something bigger. I mean, who do these super, who, who do these superheroes turn to for help themselves? I mean, they, they, they must have to go, you know, they must lean into you know, use of some technology, but they must also lean into, you know, oh no, we call the police at X. We, we call these people at, you know, this, this other point in time. Right. Well, I think for much of it, I, I think that's why you see a lot of groups. Um, it is almost kind of group therapy for a lot of them. For, so for those who are, you know, have issues that they're trying to deal with, uh, getting together with like-minded people is, is it's group therapy, I guess, in a lot of ways. Uh, when it comes to requiring help, they've all got, or, they they've all got the the walkie talkies and most of the teams the extreme justice league is the best one uh, i can think of because they're so based on guardian angels uh protocols they actually have when they go out on patrol they'll have um they have roles there's like the patrol leader there's the i i can't remember what their actual roles are but there's like sort of like the muscle uh, if something happens and then they'll have the communications uh, officer. So that person is in charge of whenever there's an incident there, they immediately contact police or, or ambulance or whatever. So, um, so, you know, the ones that are, are relatively well-organized, you know, have got that side of it uh, of things covered. So it's a combination, you know, they're, they're covered in terms of uh, the necessary backup that they have, but also in terms of their personal needs there, uh, I think that's what they're there for. That's the, you know, it's group therapy. Do you, do you ever find, have you found any superheroes out there that don't wear masks or capes or outfits that just go, go, you know, li literally they, they operate, they call themselves superheroes, but they operate in the, the clear light of the day in a way. Yeah, definitely. A lot of them uh, don't actually. And it's kind of interesting because I think it mirrors what's happening in fiction too. Um, there was an article, I think not too long ago about how Marvel comics was kind of getting rid of secret identities for its superheroes. And certainly when you watch the movies, um, it seems like almost none of them have secret identities anymore. Uh, that's happened in the real life superhero community. Uh, you know, I think there's been a shift away from you know, the sort of the Phoenix Jones hardcore crime fighter types to more of the, the charity minded types. And those are the, t the types that really tend to care less about, you know, if they're identified or so on. The crime fighters would say, well, I'm wearing a mask. I don't want my identity out there because I don't want, you know, blowback from, uh, you know, if I stop this guy and put him in jail or whatever, I don't want him coming back on me, which is like totally out of the comic books. Uh, but the ones who are more engaging in helping homeless people and, and doing charitable acts and that kind of stuff, they're not as hung up about it because they're, you know, they'll say, well, if my boss at work finds out I'm helping homeless people, oh no, what are they going to do? Like, how, how horrible is that? That's not something I'm, I, I want to keep hidden or need to keep hidden. 
Right, yeah, and the stigma's sort of gone there. It's, it's interesting. Over the last uh, two or three years, and obviously with Black Panther coming out, and obviously, you know, we tragically lost uh, Chadwick Boseman this year, right? But he, he kind of blurred the lines between that hero and what, you know, the Black community was looking for in the superhero the, the world, and then sort of brought that into, you know, it was like, you know, he'd share the income that you'd make with a film with, with, with a female cast member, or he would like empower like these kids to, to, to have more self-esteem or to, to push further or, you know, stay in school and, and all these things. And, and that sort of, that sort of crosses things. Uh, do you think we're going to see more superheroes sort of come out of this culture, you know, from seeing the films? Cause what the Avengers franchise is probably the, one of the biggest franchises in the world now. And, and, you know, there's dozens of superheroes in there, you know, the old two like Spider-Man's going through multiple sort of generations of, of, of films on um, there's new Batman films coming out, which I still can't believe, right. It still comes through, especially where it came from in like the late sixties, early seventies and how sort of a uh, kitsch that <laughs> was in a yeah. way. And, yeah. and, you know, and even, you know, there's like science fiction, science fantasy and whatever. But, but coming back into, into that word, I mean, I, for, for one, like I would say, OK, I, I kind of love Ju- Spider Jerusalem as that sort of rebel journalist on the streets in Transmetropolitan and Batman, that, t- that sort of the resource- resourcefulness. But like, you know, the toughness and righteousness of Rick Deckard from, uh, from Blade Runner. And then sort of the divination of Neo from the Matrix. You know, I see all of these people as being sort of things that have shaped who I am as well. You know, not only being a massive nerd, but someone that that sort of is a collective, you know, mirror for, for culture, counterculture, science fiction and otherwise. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what about you? I mean, what, what are the sort of the fictional superheroes that you really think reflect how you sort of changed to operate in the world? Sure. Um, it really sucks that Chadwick Boseman died. I've been yeah. saying to uh, friends over the last little while that we actually need more Black Panther and less Batman. Right. Um, you know, the, the both. So Black Panther, it's hard to overstate how important that movie was, um, both in terms of what you actually saw on you know, the story on, on in film and what it meant, you know, sort of in actual society. Um, we're both white guys so you know we enjoyed it on on one level but you know just if you're reading how black audiences reacted to this film uh it was huge it was absolutely huge and it's i I can you can imagine how empowering it would be especially because the history of superheroes is so white um to have so few people who uh, can inspire you know the whole idea of superheroes the whole reason we're talking about this the whole reason for my book is that superheroes whether it's real or fictional are supposed to inspire people to be better and to do good things uh so to have more representation uh i I think is just a fantastic thing but in the film uh you know the black panther was also you know one of the messages in that movie was i think he says something like the wise man builds bridges and the fool builds walls or something to that effect. Um, superheroes were created, start originally created in the 1930s and 1940s as progressive characters. They were there to um, shake up the status quo and to fight for the little guy. Superman was the hero of the repressed when he first began. Uh, but somewhere along the way, they became almost agents of the state. Uh, they became, there's been a lot of commentary about how superheroes are conservative in, in their very nature and possibly even fascist because they are 
Uh, if you look at somebody, this is why I say we need less Batman. Batman, for most of his history, has been friends with the with the police. He's been pals with uh, with Commissioner Gordon. So, um, and then meanwhile, you have the Avengers, who are basically working a lot of the time with or for Shield, which is a government agency. So, um, given the current climate, I think superheroes are going to have to change into this back into what they first started as, which are these progressive characters and forces that are, are not so much enforcers of the status quo as they are agents of changing the status quo and, you know, sort of progressing society into being better and so on. That's why I think um, it's funny because the new Batman film, I watched the trailer for that uh, a little while ago. Right. And I was a little bit horrified uh, because you got to boil Batman down into his essence uh, and, and realize that I, I don't think that character really fits in what's going on with the world right now. He's a, a white billionaire uh, dressed in black armor with, with military gadgets, totally unaccountable and anonymous that is often in league with the police. And in, in the trailer, he's beating on these, you know, they're probably criminals, but you know, whatever it's that message does not, that sends a really bad message given everything that's happening with Black Lives Matter and so on. Um, I, I think, like I said, I think Batman is probably a character. He's, he's the most successful superhero of all time uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, actual value. Can't remember what the value is. It's something like $25 billion is the value of the Batman franchise. Um, but I think the, the Warner Brothers would do well to kind of put him on the shelf for a while and i believe that movie's been delayed till 2022 so yeah i, I kind of wonder if they've latched onto that thinking yeah you know the i think film executives need to be sort of put up against uh, the wall a little bit and sort of question somewhat about their motivations because it's like okay you know formula superhero franchise more films oh okay diversity right okay so batgirl <laughs> or Supergirl, uh, it's like, okay, that's not really that's not really playing out. And you know, there was a big there was a big sort of uh, sort of celebration the last couple of weeks because the, the first Muslim superhero right, has been cast. I think I think it's a girl out of uh, out of Toronto, out of yep. certainly out of Canada. What, what's the name of, of the superhero? That's Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel. Right. Yeah. Canada's doing really well. We've got uh, so yeah, we've got Miss Marvel is coming, and then uh, Shang Chi is uh, also an, uh, a Marvel. Yeah, he's not really a superhero; he's more of a martial artist. But right. Canadian guy playing him too, so that movie is on its way. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> better late than never, I guess. Yeah. So and and uh, I think you know in in sort of the the underground comic book scene, we see people creating these superheroes that are super. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember writing, reading a book a few years ago, The Pro, and I don't know if you've ever seen this comic book. Um, it was, it's a prostitute, a female prostitute. Okay, go figure. A female prostitute that, that was given superpowers. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, okay, that's really weird. And I sort of go digging in, in, in comic book fairs or whatever for, for lots of things in the edge. But, you know, independent comic book writers are really writing re really edgy, interesting sort of, uh, so, sort of fiction to, to try and balance things out a little bit and to broaden the conversation. And we certainly hope that that sort of comes into, uh, in, into sort of the universe that, that's been created by money 
I mean, Disney's just said it's focus of his business is streaming. So you can imagine we're going to get like, like tons, yeah. of, tons of that genre, like hitting, hitting our kids eyes before long. Well, there's a, yeah. And there's a full chapter in my book that takes a look at Africa. So again, what, um, not just the Bacassi boys, but I think this is probably would come to a surprise to a lot of people in North America that, um, you know, I think the images that we have of, of Africa, of many African countries are always negative, um, right. poverty and crime and so on. But, uh, there's a lot of positive things going on there. Um, so prior to the pandemic, for example, comic book conventions were exploding, uh, across Africa in many countries, they were just mushrooming in terms of number and attendance, uh, at all of them. Uh, the one in Johannesburg, I think, um, was on its second year and it was like, it doubled from its first year to the point where they were going to do another one and uh, a separate one in Cape town. Right. So you've got, uh, it's exploding there. That's a, a really good sign because, um, when you've got something like that happening, it's, it's showing that, you know, there is actually people have the time, the desire and the means to enjoy what's ultimately a sort of frivolous entertainment. Right. Uh, but also you've also got a, a burgeoning comic book scene happening uh, again in Nigeria, going back to Nigeria. I talked to the head of a comic book company uh, publisher there called comic Republic and their whole plan or their whole thinking was they, you know, they, a lot of kids, have grown up reading uh, American superhero comics, but they don't really have anything local. So that's what they're, they're doing is they're creating uh, local superheroes, Nigerian superheroes with stories set in Nigeria and other African countries. So, uh, you know, that's cool. That's giving uh, people there something to look up, look, look up to and, and aspire to. So there is a lot of really fascinating and, and good stuff happening uh, in many of the countries in Africa as well. So from this fictional world and back into the real world, I, I, I advise you know, municipalities across Canada and cities across, uh, across the United States and, and further beyond. You know, are we going to actually find... I've been play, this is how I came across you. Was I was researching into um, a, a particular West Coast city and, uh, and, and I was like, it's really interesting. I was chatting to a couple of my futurist friends about it. It's like this idea of... Cre- you know, why don't we find or create our own superheroes to become like the figureheads for some kind of, you know, um, strength in the community. I mean, do you think this is going to, you know, become legitimized in a way? I think so. And I think a really, that's a really good segue into Mexico, uh, which we, pro- I promised I'd mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, so the, the situation in Mexico is a little bit different than what we've seen uh, in Canada and the United States. Uh, and I think this my, it's my favorite part of the book because I find this so fascinating. Um, in Mexico, pro wrestlers are superheroes, right. uh, luchadors, as they're known. Um, the, many of them wear masks. And, you know, in, in Canada, the United States, pro wrestling is kind of like this lowbrow. It's always been seen as this lowbrow entertainment. I personally am a fan, so I I'm, do not, uh, you know, treat it with any sort of contempt. Uh, but in Mexico, it's, it's arisen very differently. It's become a cultural, it's like... Um, uh, I believe it's got cultural like UNESCO status uh, to some degree in Mexico because it has become uh, sort of like their superhero culture uh, in the, in the fifties and, and onwards um, they children were banned from going to matches. So they really started to migrate a lot of the luchadors into films 
Uh, so they're like their most famous wrestler is El Santo. And he was a huge film star. I can't remember this, but there were dozens and dozens of El Santo movies where he would basically battle zombies and Nazis and space aliens and so on. So he was literally a superhero and Mexico had the superhero movie craze decades before the rest of the world did. So uh, luchadors in Mexico are very much superheroes. And that has migrated, of course, into the real world, too. Um, there's been a number of characters there who have taken up the power of the superhero luchador uh, and used it to promote social causes. So probably the best known was a guy named Super Barrio. Uh, so back in 1985, when there was the huge earthquake that hit Mexico City and uh, thousands upon thousands of people were left homeless, he was the symbol of, you know, the government was be, being very slow in, in getting homes for these people. So he arose this masked character to fight for tenant rights. And then he would do things like when landlords would come to evict people, he would show up and basically prevent them from doing so. And, you know, he became a very successful political figure. Uh, and a lot of people followed his leads. There was, um, there was Fry Tormenta. Do you remember a movie called Nacho Libre starring yeah. Jack Black? Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, it was the, the essentially the story of a, a friar in a monastery who uh, he can't feed the orphans living there. So he, he doesn't have money to feed them. So he becomes a wrestler to earn money uh, named, uh, oh, and the movie is Nacho Libre. But uh, in, in real, it was actually, this is based on a real story. Right. It's based on Fry Tormenta who did the same thing. Um, so you had all kinds, so you've, you've had all types there. You've had uh, super animal who was, uh, he, he led a crusade to get uh, bullfights banned in Mexico city. Um, I think he was somewhat successful. I'm not positive. Uh, so yeah, so you've had a lot of uh, the real life superheroes in Mexico have used that image of the, the superhero luchador to become figureheads for these social causes. And uh, that's pretty different from, what they've done uh, in many other countries. But I think that's, uh, it's been a really powerful and really successful, um, you know, sort of tactic that they've used in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, I sort of look out into the real world a little further outside of Mexico as well. Like Greta Thunberg, you know, she's kind of a superhero, you know, young girl takes on the world, you know, that sort of thing. I, I was thinking about this, I'd like you, I'm up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about things. Maybe the Dalai Lama is a superhero. <laughs> no, his compassion like literally like the guy if you if you've ever seen him like the, the everything radiates from him and everything feels a lot lot better you know the, the yeah. way that he laughs the way that he, the, he he talks about compassion well you know i sort of talk about that i think it's interesting you know we look at you know the great stan lee and this is what he said about superheroes right that person who helps others simply because it should should or must be done and because it's a right thing to do is indeed, without doubt, a real superhero. So you could be a superhero and probably are. And I'm a, I can be a superhero and, and certainly hope to be one day. I'm the futurist, whatever. Go, go. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know, we go out there, we push, and I think that everyone needs to, to bear that in mind, that everyone's got those superpowers and the superpowers around even being connective in society today is rare and beautiful and needs to be brought together. But, yeah. but, but Peter, I'm, I'm incredibly... Uh, 
excited to have done this conversation with you and i'm pretty sure that we're going to have more conversations going forward i mean i also live in toronto so we'll get together once the uh, the evil arch nemesis of covid19 is, <laughs> is, has been defeated by i don't know who the superhero is super pharma companies i don't know <laughs> anyway um but yeah I, I look forward to getting together with you so uh, you know everyone go out there and check out uh, peter's book the rise and real life superheroes and the fall of everything else uh, it's definitely worth a read. I really enjoyed reading it, <laughs> reading about the people in there. And, and really from Africa to Mexico to Canada, down into the United States, um, there's amazing people doing amazing things. And it comes from the heart and it comes from goodness. And uh, we certainly need more of that in society today. So Peter Nowak, I'd like to say thank you very much for your time today. And we'll chat again soon. My pleasure, Nick. Thanks a lot for having me.